Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me, uh, Dr. Elise Meekum. And if you haven't seen her on social media, this woman is a powerhouse. And so I've had this girl crush on her for months when I first met her. She's probably one of the most brilliant minded human beings I've ever come across. And for those of you that knew my late husband, Tristan, he was just, he was always like one of the most brightest people in the room. He was like a thesaurus and like a dictionary. And Tristan could just, he could just spout off research and science and like, and it's rare to come across people like that. And then I met Elise and she's one of those people. She is just brilliant. And I love talking to her because she's a doctor that does research outside of what she's been taught, which is, is kind of rare to come by. And so Dr. Meekum, welcome. Thank you. I am so happy to have you on the podcast just because I, the conversations we've had around health and nutrition and like the flaws that we're seeing in today's world and culture around health and medicine and food, like we're just so aligned and it's really hard to find people that speak your language when it comes to this, who see the bigger picture outside of their training. And so please introduce yourself, tell all the listeners who you are, what you do and how you became so unique. You're kind of like this unicorn in the medical <laughs> like circles. You really are. And so tell everyone why you're just so phenomenal. Well, thank you. So I'm actually a plastic surgeon. I do complex reconstructive surgery as well as cosmetic surgery. My training is actually in microvascular surgery. I trained in cancer reconstruction and moving tissue from different parts of the body to reconstruct the body after trauma or cancer. I'm not actually a specialist in COVID or nutrition, but through personal experiences have developed a, a passion for learning and educating myself on healing and nutrition and some of the things that we kind of miss in our medical school training. Things like being connected to our food sources and looking at where our food comes from and what we're putting into our body and using food, not just as nutrition, but also as medicine. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because a lot of our medications that we have today are based off of isolating compounds that are naturally found in nature and then isolating those and then patenting them, right? Because once that mm -hmm. you patent, once you have something that you've isolated and you can make a synthetic copy of that, you can then add patents to that and it makes you money. It makes a lot of money. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if it's found in nature, it's naturally occurring substance. It cannot have a patent put on it. So a lot of the medications that we have that our pharmaceutical companies produce are synthetic versions of what we naturally have in oh. our food and in our herbs and in the world around us. Right. And so through my own experiences, my own training, and I think a lot of curiosity and a desire to take care of my family, I've kind of become obsessed, I guess, or just a sideline natural path, which I think actually aligns very well with my allopathic medical school training. So I want to talk more about that because we're going to be talking about COVID today and we're going to be talking about the health epidemic that we are coming across where it's the future is kind of, it seems unclear because COVID has just entered our systems. And for many people, it's just wrecked their bodies. It's wrecked their health. But there's two like schools of thought out there. 
There's doctors that are like, the science is the science and you don't question the science. And then there's a lot of doctors like you that are saying, wait a sec, there's something missing here. Can we talk about it? And then they're being silenced. Why do you think there are these two schools of thought? Why is there such a dichotomy? And it's so black and white. So I think that a lot of it has to do with our just innate characteristics as people. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a complex question that you've asked here. So some of the things that I, I think I'll start with what made me question. So I'm a wife, a mom. I have elderly parents, not elderly, but don't tell them I said that. (laughs) They're older. And as we were going into this pandemic, I'm not an epidemiologist. I am a plastic surgeon, but I'm curious. And I try to navigate life in a way that is helpful and beneficial to my family and to particularly my children. I have a husband with an autoimmune illness. And when I went through medical school, my goal was always to be the very best that I could be and even more curious and more anxious to learn than everybody around me. I wanted to just know things. And I loved pharmacology. I Mm -hmm. honored that with flying colors. It was just, I liked the pharmacokinetics, the way your body metabolizes, Mm -hmm. how incredible your body is at cleaning itself and eliminating toxins and things like that. And so when I saw how the beginning of the pandemic was being handled and we were talking about maybe doing lockdowns and 14 or 15 days to flatten the curve and some of those things, it was counter to what I was taught in medical school, including epidemiology. And so that triggered this idea that things were not adding up correctly, Mm -hmm. which then sent me into this look into alternate ideas and theories about what was going on. And so I think what I have found through my digging and using peer-reviewed articles or some preprint articles that were pending publication in Mm -hmm. well-known recognized medical journals is that there were two different, there were different schools of thought and the alternative school of thought the idea of following traditional epidemiological principles for some reason was not getting tossed around in the mainstream media. And what I have found is that there are, there's this idea, um, some ideas that were used in even Germany during the time of Hitler and the Nazis where you create this state of fear. Mm-hmm. And it creates almost a state of hypnosis where a portion of the population will do anything that they are told to get out of this state of fear. And it's how you control large populations. It's a psychological study. It's available out there to read. You can look these principles up. You create essentially a free-floating sense of fear with mass hysteria, and you can create almost a hypnotic, obedient state in people. And I think about a third of the population, according to what I've read, actually fall within that category. Then there's the third that kind of follows the population, and that may have been where I fit in to begin with. And there is also an additional third that is able to recognize when something seems incongruent with their fund of knowledge or their life Mm -hmm. experience and say, wait a minute, I need to question this. And I don't know which of the second two categories I fall into, but I think physicians fall into those three categories just like everybody else. And I also think there is a level of fear that's associated with the idea of speaking out. You know, we have one of the United States' most prominent and number one most published physician who just had his medical board pull his licensure because he has been saying, hey, these vaccines, this COVID virus, there's something that's not right here. And questioning the mainstream lines that we've been fed 
Mm-hmm. completely backed by, I've never heard him quote a statistic without referencing where the data came from, mm-hmm. the article, yeah. the published publication, the authors and like uh, a really brilliant human being. And now, and I, mm-hmm. I came across him early on in the pandemic, um, just trying to figure out if I could figure out what was being said in Congress. And he was speaking to Congress saying, Hey, we need to look at this differently. We need early intervention. We need to figure out how to protect our at-risk populations. Mm-hmm. We don't need, we don't want to have to isolate people. We want to find repurposed medications that we know are safe for you to take. Right. And in, we're not doing those things. Why do we not have the leading physicians in the United States? The most, why are we not creating medical boards where mm-hmm. we're sitting down and talking to each other and saying, right. what have you experienced? Here's what I found worked. What have you found with mm-hmm. this? What things can you add to this conversation? Right. That never happened. There was never right. a group of leading scientists or physicians besides those that were within the government already or mm-hmm. already within pharmaceutical industries that were brought together to create a panel. They were doing this on their own yeah. and they were discussing, they were having conversations with doctors in Italy and other countries that were first hit so hard and saying, what are you doing And then we would get conflicting data after that. So we would say, well, these doctors have found that this works, but what was coming out in the journal articles was contrary to that. Interesting. And so that for me was a red flag. And well, and we kind of spoke about like how journal. So first you guys, I just some context. So you and I were talking and I said, Hey, are you comfortable talking about this? Because there's a lot of doctors that are speaking up and they're speaking their truth about, Hey, here is what I'm seeing and they're getting their license taken away. And so But what you told me was, you know, we need to speak our truth, like, because if we stay silent, then we're just, we're allowing it to happen more and more. We're complicit. Exactly. And so, so this is a real concern. And what's interesting too, is I've spoken with so many people that are like you that are just very hush hush, but they're all like, something is wrong here. Like, like the way this is being conducted is not the way science is supposed to happen. Like when it comes to testing vaccines, for instance, you know, like it completely skipped certain phases of like clinical trials. It went from creating a product and then it was supposed to go to animals and it didn't really get tested on animals, right? It went straight to humans. And so, you know, like there's a lot of doctors and like very educated people that are saying, wait a second, there's something that's up, something that's wrong and and we don't like it. But we can't say we don't like it because then we're going to get silenced and we're going to have our licenses taken away, which you spent thousands upon thousands of dollars and years worth trying to get. Who's going to risk that? You know, and so yeah. it's, it's really it's really scary. I want to go into COVID in a little bit, but please tell me, tell us what you were telling me earlier about research. You know, there's this phenomenal book that one of my friends on Instagram brought to my attention she wrote a post about it and it's called the illusion of evidence-based medicine. And the things that she learned is that science is often manipulated and it has been used to manipulate the public. Mm -hmm. Science is sometimes bought and paid for. And again, not all science, but a lot of the science, right? We're not like, let's not put it all in the same category, but the integrity of science is being compromised and is often funded by biased parties. Like we never talk about that. Absolutely. You know, no one ever questions the drug company's research, you know, and yes, we should be drug companies are paying by themselves for this research. They're saying, we want to sell this drug, make sure it's safe. Like, how are we not seeing the conflict of interest here? 
I think that one of the greatest challenges that we face right now is the inability to to perform real science in the name of finding real truth. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I have found through all of this that I had no idea about. So just as a two disclaimers, one, this is not my specialty. Mm-hmm. This is just a field of interest that I have devoted a large portion of my time, energy, and effort into mm-hmm. in an effort to protect the people around me and particularly my vulnerable patient population and my family. Mm-hmm. So that's one. But two, I was one of those people that did never questioned the science and never questioned the data. Mm-hmm. I have never questioned whether the medications that I was learning about in pharmacokinetics were actually safe and effective, which is just a a saying now that I swear to you is slightly triggering if that, mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point, but I never questioned whether what I was being taught was accurate or where that information was mm-hmm. coming from. And as the pandemic rolled out and all of these discordant notes started being struck in my mind when I would hear the information being relayed across the news or in the, you know, wherever I was looking, it could have been a medical journal. It could have been in forums with other surgeon moms, which I used to participate in or, mm-hmm. you know, other, whatever it was, the information that was coming across me just didn't quite jive with the, even the educational process that I went through in medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I started to do was look at where one who would benefit if that information wasn't accurate and was being portrayed to the public mm-hmm. and two who was funding the information that was coming my way? Who was right. funding the news? Right. Who was funding the the journals that I read mm-hmm. as my medical Bible? Right. You know, and it turned out that all of those dollar signs funnel back into kind of one direction, and that is pharmaceutical companies and our government programs that fund and approve the drugs yeah. that we're putting into our bodies. And, you know, Take that as you will. This is not trying to discredit anybody. That's not the point. But the questions that we need to be asking every time we're told something is, who funded that information Mm -hmm. and where did it come from? And we as physicians don't ask those questions. No. I mean, our insurance companies pay our salaries Mm -hmm. and pharmaceutical companies are in, they are joined at the hip with insurance companies. Our journals are funded by pharmaceutical companies. Here in the U.S., all of our major medical journals are funded by pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. In the U.K., the British Medical Journal is one of the only ones that is not directly controlled or funded by any kind of a pharmaceutical company. But even researchers, we get our money to do our research from From pharma. pharma. Mm -hmm. And when you look at medical schools, who is funding the educational process in medical schools? It's not just we get stipends and grants from the government to educate our future physicians. It's... The medical company and all kinds of people that give you a name. Mm-hmm. So there are names tied to the scholarships that you can get, but those names are families that own mm-hmm. pharmaceutical companies. And yeah. so as you start to trace the money back, you have to wonder where the information that you're getting is coming from and right. how reliable that information is and who benefits from that information being told. And you need to always go in, click on the conflict of interest, which should be on the front of every published article mm-hmm. that comes through a reputable medical journal. And if it's on, if you have to click a separate link to look at what the conflicts of interest are, you got to question 
how concerned you should be about the reliability right. of that data and who funded that article. Right. And then you should also be looking at who are the editors of your medical journal? Are yeah. they funded by big name foundations? Mm-hmm. Are they funded by companies that shouldn't be funding whether or not your article makes it into their journal? Because a lot of times they will also have affiliations or ties mm-hmm. with companies that make it so that they, even if their intentions are good, there's going to be a bias in how right. they allow things to come into print. Right. So, and I'm not saying that all articles or journals are that way, but you should always be looking at where the money is coming from. I love that. And I think, again, what you're saying is, you know, let's question everything and not be dogmatic, yes. right? Because what we're seeing is this dogmatic, almost like the image I get is like a dog frothing at the mouth of like, don't you dare question this, yes. right? And it's, and then if you're questioning it, you're actually uneducated and like yes. go back to school. Like there's this very negative antagonistic culture that you're we anti-science. create. anti-science. Yeah, you're anti-science. And so people that are, I put in air quotes, educated, you know, they have doctorates and they're medical doctors that are questioning the science. They're actually being quiet about it for the most part, you know? And so unfortunately it's kind of like this weird culture that we have created. So, okay. So let's get into COVID. What the heck is COVID? Why are people's bodies falling apart when they get COVID? And it's only some people, right? It's not everyone. Like, why is this happening? And what is happening to us? Because I got COVID in last year, November, and then I swear I must've gotten it again in March sometime. I got very sick. It felt like an Epstein-Barr flare up. Mm -hmm. And then from there on, like when around the time I met you was like the beginning of the end where I came over here and I was like, I'm having weird signs and symptoms. And, yes, and you and I kind of I spoke about it. I was like, it could be Epstein-Barr. It's mimicking this. And you and I were back and forth. And then I just like, I crashed and burned. And I was like, my symptoms were concussion syndrome that married MS, that married neurological dysfunction, that married anxiety and depression and almost like some kind of dementia. Like that's was my whole experience. It was very scary to be in my body. It was very scary to even be alive because I just didn't know what was happening. It felt like my brain was literally breaking down and I'm not the anomaly. There are a lot of people that are experiencing Mm -hmm. this and experiencing other kinds of autoimmune dysfunctions. You know, I just looked at my labs. I just got labs done. My inflammatory markers are up. My white blood cell count is down from January. Like it is wrecking people's bodies. Like what the heck is happening? Yeah. So your experiences, I think, fit right in with the damage that that spike protein does. So coronavirus is a virus that has been around. It's a circulating cold Mm -hmm. virus, right? It can be a cold or a GI and it's very common, but there are different versions of this virus. And the particular virus that has come around, the COVID-19, the coronavirus, this version of that virus has a certain spike protein, which we've all heard that term at this point, Mm -hmm. which is this series of amino acids that stick up off of this little ball of, you know, genetic coding that allow it to enter cells and then replicate itself. Mm -hmm. So this particular coronavirus carries this spike protein and it seems to be that the spike protein is what is causing the damage. So Mm -hmm. it will bind to certain receptors on your cells called ACE receptors and they, it transmits itself through the cell membrane and into your cell And it starts to replicate and then it just spreads out multiple copies of itself 
and tons of this spike protein. And what we're finding is that this spike protein in and of itself, whether you get it from the virus or a vaccine, Mm -hmm. causes damage throughout your body. And one of the primary places that it causes a lot of problems is in the lining in your blood vessels called Mm -hmm. the endothelial cells. And the endothelial cells are responsible for cell signaling and letting your body know that there's an injury to the blood vessels that you need to fix. It causes, when you damage those cells, they cause clotting. And so Mm -hmm. you find that there's a lot of these strange clots. A lot of our patients in the hospital early on were dying because they were getting massive clots in places that should never have had clots. Um, Large blood vessels in otherwise healthy patients. Mm -hmm. So it causes endothelial damage. And that those cells run in every organ of your body, particularly your, you know, they're, well, not particularly, but when you're talking about the function, the dysfunction that you were experiencing It causes damage to the microvasculature, the tiny blood vessels that feed your organs, that feed Mm -hmm. your nerves, that feed your brain, that feed your liver, that feed everything in your body where you're producing your immune cells. And um, Mm -hmm. if you're getting little tiny clots all throughout the body, these micro clots, if that's the cause, you've got an issue that's systemic, right? We're talking about you're the second person that's told me about symptoms that were related to that felt like MS, but weren't. And a kind of a chronic progressive feeling of worsening over time. Mm-hmm. And that's because when you break down those blood vessels and you're causing clots, you're not getting oxygen to your end organs. You're not mm-hmm. getting oxygen to your liver, to your nerves. You, so you're getting mm-hmm. terrible burning numbness or, you know, just changes in the way your sensation comes to your brain. And yeah. You're getting tiny blood clots in your brain. And I'm not talking about stroke level clots where you've got yeah. some massive problem, but you're getting the microvasculature even in the brain. So you're getting less oxygen transfer into those critically high functioning organs that require a high oxygen demand Mm -hmm. that also caused inflammation throughout the body. So you're getting these massive inflammatory responses, myocarditis with both the vaccine and with the natural Natural. infection from COVID as well. Mm -hmm. And it also causes not only a systemic inflammatory response, but it inhibits your immune system. So your body is no longer producing normal T cells and normal CD8 and CD4 cells. So you're getting these deranged immune responses and these cells are lasting for months. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, even in people who had a natural infection, so let's say we're separating out people that whose bodies were told to produce the spike protein, which would be Mm -hmm. the vaccinated population from the people who naturally came into contact with COVID and developed those symptoms, Mm -hmm. even months out of getting COVID, Our data and our journals, and I have this article, I'll give it to you so you can post it. But even 12 months out and at random testing periods, people with symptoms of long COVID where they're having changes to their health over months and months after injury, you can still test for that spike protein in their blood after they get COVID. How do you test for it? What tests should people be asking their doctors for? They're not regularly available. They're not widely available at this point. Mm -hmm. So the things that we're going to be looking for right now are things that we can start to actively treat. Mm -hmm. So there are doctors that have access to testing for the spike protein, but that's more of a research Mm. side of things. Yeah. So what we're going to be looking for are inflammatory biomarkers. So Mm -hmm. CRP, ESR, you're going to be looking for your homocysteine levels mm-hmm. and chronic inflammatory markers. I was just telling you before we recorded, yeah. like in my labs, I, like I'm a healthy person. Like my cholesterol is even low and my CRP is elevated. I'm like, what? Why am I becoming more and more at risk for like heart disease? Like, yes, I'm a healthy person. My homocysteine is up. Like my white blood cell count is 
down. Like it's very, yeah. it's like, this is not the body I had a year ago. Yeah, and my, It's acting very like yeah. even my insulin is going up with like, I'm tapping on the door of metabolic syndrome. And I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. I'm gutsy mom. Like this <laughs> doesn't make sense. Like, and that's the interesting thing too. It's like, I'm learning this is a new body. Like what COVID did to me, it was like, it chewed me from the inside out and what it chewed out, like what the end product was is a body that I'm, I don't actually recognize and I'm learning to adjust to it, but yeah. like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Well, if you know, some of the things that you said, so for instance, your homocysteine level being elevated, right? You've got damage to the endothelium, mm-hmm. in your blood vessels. And so your inflammatory markers that are specific to your cardiovascular system are elevated, right? Mm-hmm. We know that elevated homocysteine levels correlate with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Yeah, That makes sense because you've had spike Crazy. protein circulating through your body. Mm-hmm. You have decreased white blood cell counts, right? Mm-hmm. You should be having good, normal immune responses to getting colds, to getting sick. Yeah. And you should see specific versions of those white blood cells increase depending on right. if it's a bacterial infection, if it's a viral, viral. infection. Mm-hmm. And those reactions are suppressed and deranged. Yeah, And that, again, it doesn't matter how you got exposed to the spike protein. That's ongoing. Have you heard of this? I learned this when I was doing another blood chem analysis training and the doctor that was training us was talking about how COVID is activating a dormant gene. It's the HERV gene, H-E-R-V. I actually haven't heard this. So she's saying it's activating a dormant gene in people that actually wakes up dormant viruses in your body. So we can actually Uh. like inherit, let's say Epstein-Barr from our mother or our grandmother, but we have a lot of these dormant viruses in our DNA. And then COVID is going in and activating a HERV gene in us that is activating these dormant viruses. And so even though we haven't been exposed to active like mono or Epstein-Barr, it's now waking up in our systems because COVID is triggering that. And so that's why a lot of people are getting these autoimmune diseases that Epstein-Barr tends to mimic or trigger. I see. Have you ever heard that? I haven't, but I do know that the immune suppression Mm -hmm. from the coronavirus is there. It's legitimate. People are getting, you know, whether it's again, vaccine or they're, they've got COVID, we're seeing massive reactivations of herpes Mm -hmm. simplex viruses, cold sores and genital herpes. Mm -hmm. We're seeing young, young, healthy-ish adults, people who should not have problems having shingles Mm -hmm. reactivations. Yes. I have a friend that had shingles reactivations for months and he was miserable. And we're just not fighting illnesses and healing the way that we did prior to prior to what we're seeing now. And part of that is that we've just got this prolonged derangement of our immune system. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I looked into is not just what's going on with the body, but are there things that we can do to help move us in a a better, more positive direction with our health? And most of the things that I have found are treating the symptoms specific to the body system that you're experiencing. And then also trying to give, stop the continued transition of these T cells from this normal functioning T cell into this kind of deranged autoimmune type T Mm -hmm. cell system. And how do we support our natural, our native immune system after it's been damaged from this and help it to function as to its best ability as possible Mm -hmm. after these injuries. The other thing that I have found is I don't know about this HERV gene, so I'll see if I can look up any information on that. But there have been two studies, one kind of towards 2020, the beginning of 2020 that came out of Japan. And again, I'll find the link and send you the article itself that talked about when they were looking at patients that had been infected with 
the COVID and coronavirus, that they were finding that spike protein in the nucleolus of the cell. And why Mm -hmm. is that important? The nucleolus is, so we have cells and they're microscopic. You can't see them without a microscope. And even smaller than that, they have these little tiny organelles inside of them. And the organelles have different functions just within the cell. Mm -hmm. And the nucleolus is where the DNA is stored. And that's where you start to make little mRNAs and they go out and they get transcribed and then you make proteins using amino acids, right? So it's this complex system throughout this little tiny cell with multiple steps and organelles. Within the nucleolus, your DNA is housed. And you have special proteins within your DNA that allow you to fix damage to the DNA that accumulates just Mm -hmm. with life over time. We eat things that are not good for us. We're exposed to things in the environment that harm us. Even sun, which mm-hmm. I think is very healthy for us. Sun can even damage the DNA and the way that it's held together. So you have these special proteins within your nucleolus that go through and repair your DNA breaks and damages and cut out the bad stuff and put good stuff in. Some of those proteins are transcribed by genes in our body. And so there's one that I'm particularly familiar with because my specialty is actually breast cancer reconstruction, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the genes in our nucleus or in our DNA, excuse me, that increases our susceptibility to DNA damage and our risk for breast cancer is the BRCA1 and 2 genes. Mm-hmm. The spike protein was seen, found in the nucleolus interacting with the BRCA, the BRCA repair you know, enzymes, mm-hmm. and it inhibits the BRCA repair. Mm -hmm. And that study came out out of Japan. I think it was early 2020. I have it stored. And then the second one showing that the spike protein inhibits BRCA repair mechanisms just came out of the United States. And that one was recent within the past two months. So I'll also get that one to you. So what that means is that we're going to probably see an increase in breast cancer. Is that correct? Yes. And That was specific to breast cancer. There were other genes that it was, or other proteins within the nucleolus. It was just found interacting with different repair mechanisms. Mm -hmm. There were two of them specifically mentioned in both papers. And so it's not just breast cancers that I think we'll be seeing here soon. And I already anecdotally, and I haven't surveyed my clinic and pulled real numbers at this point, but I'm taking care of patients that are much younger than when I first came out into practice. Mm -hmm. So I have right now multiple patients in their 20s which yeah. is very uncharacteristic for, even That's for crazy BRCA, you would see 30s 30s usually mm-hmm. which is much younger than the average age for breast cancer but you would start surveilling them 10 years before their moms got breast cancer yeah. now we've got 23 year olds with breast cancer that That's are crazy. BRCA positive and you have to wonder what's going on here yeah and the problem is is that as physicians We've paid all of this money to get these licenses that allow us to take care of people. And we've got this conflict of interest. Do I continue to just keep my head down and take care of these people who need me? Mm -hmm. Or do I start asking the questions that can put me at risk? Hey listeners, this holiday season, spoil those you love with the gift of comfort and quality and bundle up with cozy earth bedding pajamas that are now finally available on holiday hues. Cozy Earth is by far one of my favorite things I own as its quality is truly unmatched. All products are made from responsibly sourced viscous from bamboo and come with a 10-year warranty. You guys, hardly any company can boast of that type of quality and guarantee. Their loungewear offers optimal comfort while maintaining a flattering, elegant fit, which means if you buy this for your loved ones, they probably won't take it off. 
Matching holiday PJs this season never felt so good. And as a bonus, Cozy Earth is also providing all Gutsy listeners 40% off site-wide when you use the code Gutsy. So don't hesitate to get your loved ones extra cozy this holiday season with Cozy Earth Apparel. Now back to the show. And so one of the challenges that we have is how do we ask those questions and not put, put our, yourself at risk? Yeah. Basically. Our at risk and my ability to take care of these ladies. I love my patients. They have improved my life. Just taking care of them has improved mm-hmm. my life. I've met the most extraordinary humans. As a matter of fact, one of my breast cancer patients is how we met. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can just see how that one human, how much better your life is for knowing she's, her. She's another unicorn. She like is. you just, you just adore Krista. I've had her on the podcast. We were talking about <laughs> ketamine therapy and like I, her and I joke and say we were Siamese twins in another life. You know, that. she's just such a good human, but yeah. you know, it's interesting because you're saying how as a physician, can you protect yourself, but also prompt questions. People don't really realize what a badass you are. Like you are, the only female surgeon in Utah, correct? That does your type of surgery. The only female plastic surgeon in Utah County. In Utah County. Oh, okay. In Utah. But there's only like two female surgeons or am I, am I getting that wrong? There are in Utah County that I know of surgeons and I work with most of them. And there you, are four, but you two were, general surgeons, myself and a neurosurgeon. And if you want to talk about a badass female surgeon. Mm-hmm. There's a female neurosurgeon in Utah. Oh, that's she's rad. Awesome. And that's she's really super, cool. She's just a good person too. But like you graduated like top in your class. Like you did the most aggressive. What's the word I'm looking for? Competitive. Yeah. The most I, competitive. I did the most competitive residency mm-hmm. at the time. And that alternates with a couple of different subspecialties or specialties. Mm-hmm. And then I went in and did an additional year of microvascular fellowship training. So you're not just a normal plastic surgeon. You're like the biggest, baddest <laughs> kind out there. Like people don't really realize this. So who we're hearing from is a very intelligent, very, very you're one of the biggest, baddest, most intelligent surgeons out there. Like it's truly like, you're not just your run of the mill doctor, you know? And so, so for you to say these things, it holds a lot of clout for me, you know, and I hope for other people too. And again, let's answer that question. How do you ask these questions without being held hostage, right? Having your license be held hostage. How do we go about this? And what are the questions that we should be asking? So, you know, I think number one, The most important thing that I can think of is there isn't right now with the political climate the way it is, it's becoming easier to ask questions, Mm -hmm. right? And I've been asking all along, I've collaborated with multiple physicians in Utah throughout the state who felt the same reaction that I have, which was that what we were being told wasn't adding up. Mm -hmm. There was incongruent with what we were trained to do and how to respond to these kinds of things in medical school. And they're in all different specialties. So plastic surgery, emergency medicine, anesthesiology, cardiology, internal medicine, primary care. So there are all kinds of doctors Mm -hmm. who feel the same way and have asked these same questions. How do you question the narrative without getting in trouble? I don't know that there is a way, but I will say that one of the things that I've learned in life, a life lesson that I carry with me is that there is always... Not just the possibility, but the probability that I'm wrong. And Mm -hmm. if I'm not wrong about one thing, I may be wrong about another. And so even though I come to a conclusion with what I'm questioning, the reality is there is always more information and I may be missing something. Mm -hmm. And so you have to question. You have to ask that question. There's not a way to escape the need 
to continually learn, right? One of the things that you're trained to do in medical school, or at least you were when I was in medical school, is that you are a lifelong learner. And so you have to make the assumption that something that you are accepting as dogma is probably wrong and will change Mm -hmm. over the course of your life, especially in medicine. If you're a good practitioner in medicine, you will understand that, right? Because it's a practice, you know? And so you're always learning, even in my coaching and our facility, like I'm always learning more things. I'm like, oh man, I wish I'd known what I know today, five years ago, I could have helped people so much more, right? Like you're always accumulating more and more and like, and the thing, oh, there was this quote about science where it's like science should always be There is no questioned. such thing as, so this quote that we hear over and over again, the science is settled, mm. is mm. by definition untrue. So if right. my, everybody here that's listening to you today, mm-hmm. everybody that hears my voice learns one thing. Mm-hmm. If you hear the words, the science is settled, mm-hmm. then you know that you're not being told the truth. Right. Because the reality is it's everybody's not- body is different. There will mm-hmm. always be people who respond or react in a manner that's different. And that's what's exciting mm-hmm. about medicine. That's what's exciting about learning is there's always something new and different than what yeah. you're being told. So when you're hearing words like I am science, we don't question science. Mm-hmm. These things that we've heard over the news and airways broadcast, yeah. that's exactly when you need to stop and ask a question. Well, that doesn't make sense. The whole definition of science is that it's an ongoing study, an ongoing learning process. And maybe we get good information about one aspect, but there are other aspects that we need to continue to ask questions on, whatever topic it is. Mm -hmm. And so one, you should be looking for things. If you are listening to someone talk and something strikes you as that doesn't make sense, but they're saying it and they're smarter than I am. Mm -hmm. And that includes with this, everything that we're saying today. If you hear something like, you know what? She doesn't make sense. You go find that information and I want to know what you're learning because you need to question everything you're hearing. Mm -hmm. And then the second question is, or the second question that you asked was one, how do we question without being at risk? We don't. Mm -hmm. The reality is I took an oath that I was going to do no harm Mm -hmm. and that I would serve, at least for me personally, maybe not the Hippocratic Oath, but I entered medicine with the decision that my role in life is to serve the people that I take care of. And that is not to make money. It was not to profit from illness. It was to find ways to heal. Mm -hmm. And that is at the core of every patient interaction that I have with every breast cancer patient who walks into my office. We talk about nutrition. We talk about ways to improve their health. We talk about self-care. We talk about How do we heal as a whole? We talk about the emotional damage that Mm -hmm. cancer causes in our lives. So I took an oath to heal, a personal oath and a Hippocratic oath to do no harm. And because of that, at the very core foundation of who I am as a person, I cannot continue to live without asking the questions that need to be asked. It's just, it's that simple. How do we How do we find a way through this? Mm -hmm. How do we find things that help our bodies to heal? Mm -hmm. Should I be putting vaccines in my kids? Are they at risk with COVID? And just as an aside, kids don't carry large volume of numbers of ACE receptors in their passageways and airways, which is why kids don't get sick from this virus. Kids who have other illnesses are at risk. Normal, healthy children really are not. They're probably fine. And 
the levels of virus that they shed, even if they get sick, are minuscule compared to an adult because they just don't have the mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So they're very low risk for COVID. And I would question whether or not any additional measures need to be taken to keep them safe aside from healthy diet, exercise, Mm -hmm. getting them moving and keeping their minds engaged. That's what we should be doing with this pandemic. So that brings me to my next question. So like for adults to eat healthy lives, like it's so crucial now that we eat. So like we take care of our bodies. Like it's of the utmost importance that Mm -hmm. our bodies get the nutrition they need, that we manage our stress. Because I mean, when I look at white blood cell count, for instance, your immune response, there are not a lot of products and supplements out there that can up your white blood cell count naturally. Mm -mm. The main factors are stress, sleep, adequate exercise, not over-exercising because that will really deplete your body. I really want to emphasize that people are out there in the gym two hours a day and then they're asking me, why am I so tired? Yeah. Why am I always sick? And I'm like, because you're over-exercising. And they're like, but I look great. I'm like, yeah, but anyways, <laughs> that's another talk for another time. So sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress, like those are big things when it comes huge. to yeah. huge. So when it comes to COVID, make sure we're really taking care of ourselves. We're Mm -hmm. honoring our bodies and we're honoring like our immune systems. But let's say someone got COVID, they got it bad. They have autoimmune dysfunction. Now they have spike proteins destroying their, their vasculature. It's causing neurological dysfunction. It's maybe triggering, you know, symptoms like MS or lupus or you, who knows what, what, (laughs) no, you're good. (laughs) And it's causing all kinds of dysfunctions in their body. Yeah. What are some options I've shared with listeners when I was in like the worst of the worst, I put myself in my own hyperbaric protocol. I did ketamine therapy. Mm-hmm. I did cryotherapy. Yeah. I mean, nutrition, my nutrition's always been good, you know, so I didn't really yeah. fine tune it that much there, but there are a lot of people that are coming to me. They're saying, I can't afford that, Yeah, you know, and it is, it's a lot yes. of work. It's a lot of money. What are some other options out there to help bring those spike proteins down, to help bring their inflammation down? What can people do where they're not spending? I remember when I got ill, I'm not even kidding you, Lise. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to put $30,000 aside to figure this out and help myself. Like I was willing to spend that much because I'm like, this neurological decline is so fast and I know I'm going to need a lot of resources to slow it down. Like I was considering going to Idaho for ketamine therapy. I was considering going to Arkansas for like some infusions and stuff. Luckily- hyperbaric and ketamine and cryo like knocked it out of the park in like five weeks, but people can't do that. A yeah. lot of people can't. So for people that can't, what are their options? So a couple of things. So going back to your idea of rest and mm-hmm. sleep, there are, so part of what I've done with the time that I've invested in researching COVID is how do we treat our bodies, both from a pharmaceutical standpoint, which is, you know, my wheelhouse um, and a naturopathic, more natural standpoint. How can we create changes that are sustained? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I just don't know the answer to is how long is that spike protein in our body? Mm. How long is it there post-vaccination where we have trained our body to produce it? Mm -hmm. How long is it there post-exposure? I don't know the answers to that. I know that some of the studies are a minimum of 12 months mm. that they have found for people with long COVID. They found that spike protein and that's just from COVID exposure, not from wow. vaccination. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how long you have to make these changes. What I would say is that whatever changes you're making, they're lifelong. 
Mm-hmm. And how do you calm inflammation? How do you help your body to heal? I'm going to say some things that are super mainstream, and I'm going to say some things that people think are crazy. Mm-hmm. And let's start with... We're here for all of it. I know. Well, <laughs> all of it. <laughs> you'll, there's, let me just disclaimer. I haven't come up with any of these ideas on my own. Mm-hmm. I've collaborated with other physicians, other MDs, other people who are much, much smarter than I am. And that is their wheelhouse. Immunologists, allergists, just brilliant, brilliant minds. Can I say something? You know, when I was interviewing Dr. Oliver about this same topic, he said the same things. Like people, like doctors like you guys are collaborating and you're sharing information, which is beautiful because it's not coming from the medical journals and it's not coming from, you know, paid for research. Like it's doctors are experimenting. Can I use that word? They're, yeah. they're practicing, repurposing. they're yes. repurposing things and they're seeing, is this working? Great. Let me share it with other people. And yeah. isn't that like, that to me is so beautiful that there are like-minded doctors like yourself that are like, let's help each other in a very underground way. Right. Yes. And so yeah. I'm hoping that with time, because there are now protocols that are published mm-hmm. and the protocols actually are fairly close to what I developed with collaboration here on my own in Utah with these other doctors. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that these things will become published and that the nutritional side of things, that this will wake people up enough that the demand will be there Mm -hmm. that will be willing to say, here's what you can do. Yeah. And I'm hoping that we just get tired of being sick. Right. Like being sick only makes money for one group of people and it's not us. right? Right. We're taking medications. We're, putting toxins into our bodies. There are natural versions of things that cause less damage that in studies, peer reviewed published studies have the same effect. Mm -hmm. So I think that one, if you want a guideline for just at home medications, I can give you the list of things that I tried on myself that have worked, right? Everything that I say here, I've had to do for myself because I did take the vaccine and you got an injury from it, right? Horrific. So what really triggered not what really triggered my journey into the more natural side of things and how do I take care of myself after, you know, in this situation was because I took a vaccine. I took one of the coronavirus vaccines and, um, I had a horrific injury from it. Mm -hmm. And what were your symptoms? I had a lot of neurologic symptoms, so I couldn't stand upright. So if I stood from a sitting or a laying position, I would pass out or vomit. That's like POTS almost. It was very POTS in in its nature. And it was severe. And I would just be standing and I would have, it would feel like the earth had shifted underneath me and I would fall sideways. And it was just incredible. But the part that caused the most challenge to me was the cardiovascular symptoms. And I had, um, starting within about an hour after receiving the vaccine, I had severe crushing chest pain and it was, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs. And you're a healthy human. Before that, I was riding 20 miles a couple of times a week on our Mm -hmm. bikes. We'd go on bike rides. We would jog. We would hike. I'm a rock climber. I used to go rock Mm -hmm. climbing all the time. I've picked up some of these things, but it's taken two years. Yeah. I still don't ride a bike. I can't sustain the cardiovascular stamina quite long enough for that to be fun. Mm -hmm. But I've pretty much resumed the activities and I'm lucky. I know that not everyone has, will have that experience, but I've been very fortunate that through patience and trial and error and trying different things and researching and looking at, um, you know, finding things that people would mention or looking in books and finding what kind of molecules and herbs and things um, were active, I was able to come up with a protocol that I stay on to this day. Mm -hmm. Because again, I have no idea how long I'm going to be fighting 
spike right. protein, right? Mm-hmm. It may be indefinite. Yeah. And I've been able to heal quite a bit from that. But that went on. It was, I could not get out. I had to cancel cases. I had to cancel clinics. I couldn't sit in a Crazy. chair. My nurse came over and made me hold some online telemed appointments and I could barely sit upright in a chair long enough to have the appointments. That's and then crazy. the fog. I, mm, I thought the, that I was done. The brain fog is like, it's real. It's, it's extraordinary. So real. And I still experience that to an extent mm-hmm. on occasion, but I have found things that work. So things that we can do. Okay. And these are things that I personally tried and disclaimer, I am not a primary care physician. These are just things that you can try. Okay. Mm-hmm. So these are not prescription medications. There are prescription protocols that if you are really struggling, target certain aspects. So the deranged T cells, how do we keep them from crossing the blood brain barrier into the brain? Are there medications that we can take that will help decrease the inflammation in the heart? There are. Will you mention those medications as well as the other like supplemental mm-hmm. stuff? Because yeah. I want listeners to hear this and then go and talk to their doctors about it or go do some research and find a doctor that you know, advocates for this. Things. Now, mm-hmm. again, just as, again, as a disclaimer, I, my focus is primarily breast cancer patients. Mm-hmm. So I don't take on long COVID patients at this point. Yeah. My goal long-term is that we will have a women's health clinics, hopefully starting, you know, in the next little bit where we're collaborating with, you know, big supplement companies that will help us provide nutrition and education for patients. So a few things that I recommend. So some of the prescription treatments for long COVID include low-dose Lipitor. What does that do? So Lipitor is a medication that lowers your cholesterol. Cholesterol Mm -hmm. is good for your body. So this Mm -hmm. is not to lower your cholesterol, but it helps to prevent the ability of the deranged T cells to bind to protein or bind to cell receptors and cross some of the cell receptors in different parts of the body. Mm -hmm. Helps to stabilize some of the inflammation. And you have to be on these things long enough that you're outliving some of the T cells that are functioning mm. within your system. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about a three month commitment to most okay. of the pharmaceuticals. Um, and that would just be like a normal dose of Lipitor. Like if they um, were to so, ask their doctors. Yeah. It, it depends on your weight and your body mass. I was very, I, I did this protocol myself and I was very nervous about being on Lipitor. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when you were telling me about it, I was just like, Oh no, yeah. you mentioned all these medications. And again, my brain was so inflamed and I was like, so panicked that I was like, I don't know if I can go into medicine right now. Like, yeah. so, yeah. but for a lot of people that don't have access to hyperbaric chambers and ketamine therapy and other things like yeah. this is a solid protocol. So the Lipitor and it's all pill based. So it's one that you do at home. Mm-hmm. And again, there are doctors who prescribe these things and treat long COVID patients. There are entire networks established to help patients. So, you know, you can find those, you could go to the FLCCC where the frontline COVID care Alliance essentially and they can help guide you to physicians and protocols and things where they prescribe these things. Cool. Um, but some of the things that I've seen used, and I don't know what's as actively being used, but this is what worked for me, was the Lipitor or some other type of a statin. So mm-hmm. the Lipitor is in a statin family. There are side effects with these drugs, so please keep that in mind. These are not without risk. Yeah. And a lot of this is data-driven but it's an evolving process. And right. so you want to follow the data that's coming out. You want a doctor that's constantly following the data that's coming out. We have fluvoxamine, which is an old school antidepressant. That is to help with the blood brain barrier and inhibiting the transition, uh, transposition of these 
T cells that are long lasting and deranged and creating kind of an autoimmune or inflammatory response from crossing that blood brain barrier and continuing to create inflammation in the brain and in the blood vessels and things like that. The other thing is ivermectin, which is a very controversial medication. Mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly respect that. It was one that I was willing to try and I've got all kinds of stories and regarding that. And that's the that anti-parasitic, <laughs> right? So ivermectin is actually a medication that was developed by a Nobel Peace Prize winning mm-hmm. or Nobel Prize winning scientist who realized that this compound helped treat and cure river blindness, which is extraordinary. So it is actually a medication, one that the person who discovered it won a Nobel Prize for. Mm-hmm. And it's also a required medication by the World Health Organization, ironically, right? Interesting. Because, hmm, I know it's very interesting. That's so very interesting. Is, every nation is required to have access wow. to ivermectin because mm-hmm. it is such a a safe drug. It's mm-hmm. been used in, so is hydroxychloroquine. It's been used in pregnant women. It's been used as a preventative. It's been used to treat all kinds of things. It decreases viral replication in cells when used in combination with zinc. Mm-hmm. It allows zinc to get into the cells and decrease that viral replication and patients get better. Even now the data is starting to show, even in later stages of COVID exposure and infection, they do better if they have some of these medications on board. And if you look at the studies that stated that they were not doing better, they used doses of these medications that were extraordinarily high mm-hmm. and even lethal. And we're talking wow. huge huge doses of these medications. So it is controversial. There's data that goes both ways. Mm -hmm. I was willing to try this personally. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I'm telling you my personal experience. People swear by ivermectin. I just like so many people do. And so again, do your own research, but this is one that's fairly solid. I actually, one of my nurse practitioners, when her daughter got COVID, she, they lived in Oregon, I think at the time, and she prescribed her daughter ivermectin and the pharmacist was like, nope, sorry, we're not going to give you ivermectin. Yeah. And like, they're literally like banning it. And it, like, this is prescribed. It blows my mind that they yeah. were so adamant that people didn't take it. It seems so. In one or two states here mm-hmm. in the U.S., it's now an over-the-counter medication. Oh, beautiful. So you can find those states and yeah. uh, you, you know, get over-the-counter. You, you want to always have physician oversight Mm -hmm. when you're taking medications, but it is available in places. But there was this push with pharmacists, and I experienced this myself, where they were not willing to fill prescriptions by physicians who were looking for answers, right? So we found that hydroxychloroquine may decrease the viral replication in cells early on. That was noted. And, And so, you know, a lot of our colleagues are frontline doctors, anesthesiologists, ICU doctors, and they were requesting doctor's visits so they could have this prescribed for them. And there were pharmacists who literally, and this was before all of the controversy, this is before the Trump stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. where the drama and the controversy surrounding that, they just wouldn't fill them. It's crazy to me. It was very, it was a weird time to be practicing medicine. It still is. (laughs) It still is. Like we're still figuring it out. And I think the beauty of this is like, we have seen such, for lack of a better word, weirdness around this. Yes. So much so that people are actually waking up. Yes. Even people that have been half asleep throughout this, they're like, wait a second. This is like gross neglect or this is gross control. And people are yes. saying, I'm actually not okay with this. I'm very uncomfortable now. So what's interesting about Utah is there was a law passed, I think, 
I think it was 1976. I mean, mm-hmm. a long time ago. And I'll get the actual date because I don't have it with me. But it was quite a while ago that was passed that stated that the government was not allowed to interfere. or There's not supposed to be people interfering with physicians using repurposed safe medications mm-hmm. to treat new illnesses. And I can't remember the exact context for this. So I'm going to have to find the information. Utah is one of the only states that has that. But we do have a protection. Mm-hmm. A place for physicians that are using repurposed medications to treat illnesses mm-hmm. where they know that it is not going to harm the patient. Right. And so I didn't know that until recently, which is why I don't have all that information with me, but mm-hmm. um, you might even just edit that out. But the fact that there, at least the date, the fact that there is a law in Utah that protects physicians from using safe repurposed medications to treat illnesses off label. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we were told we couldn't is yeah. pretty mind blowing to me. But, I mean, I, there's actually legal recourse. That's really for that particular situation. That's insane. And then other medications that are recommended are the things that you've heard about that they're like, Oh, it's all questionable. Right. But azithromycin, which is a Z pack. Mm-hmm. Azithromycin is an antibiotic, but it actually has some anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. side effects. And so when you use it for a sinus infection, it may not necessarily be directly impacting the bacteria in your sinuses, but it may be decreasing the inflammation enough that your body is then able to clear whatever infection is in there. Mm-hmm. So it has two good purposes. It's kind of a broad spectrum antibiotic, but yeah. antibiotics are not helpful for viruses. So taking an antibiotic when you have a cold is not helpful. It's harmful. Mm-hmm. Kills the good bacteria in your body, puts you at risk for other types of infections. Right. But in the setting of COVID, what we're worried about are super infections and inflammation. So you mm-hmm. get a virus, it blocks your air, your little airways down in your lungs from mucus and infection and inflammation. So you're treating inflammation that occurs, you're killing bacteria that may be in the airways and you're allowing those to open up and allow you to breathe again. Mm-hmm. But it's also an anti-inflammatory yeah. in, in a weird side note for some reason. So that's part of why it's on the protocol. And then they recommend steroids that gets mm. your immune system under control. It gets yes. that inflammation under control. We all hate steroids, but like in, but in, this in acute setting, cases and like extreme cases like this, absolutely. Yes. when I had COVID, I was like, bring on the steroids, bring yep. on the, anti- I literally was like, I'll take steroids. I'll take antibiotics because my yep. body is in a very, very stressed response right now. And so like, yeah, like there are times when we need things like steroids. Uh, yep. I totally agree. And then the other thing is aspirin. So mm-hmm. we know that there's this mm. clotting going on in the microvasculature. Mm-hmm. And so you treat the platelets to make them less likely to stick together. Those are the little tiny plugs in your bloodstream mm-hmm. that when you get cut, they help you to stop bleeding. So those little platelets, they get sticky with all of this inflammation. Mm-hmm. The spike protein we think activates them potentially. And with the endothelial damage, you're getting the signal from the lining and the blood vessels that you need to clot, you need to protect mm-hmm. me. And so taking aspirin helps decrease that stickiness of those platelets. Very cool. So those are, and you have to be on all of those things. So the steroids, the azithromycin and the ivermectin are short-term, mm-hmm. but then the Lipitor or the statin, the fluvoxamine and the aspirin, those are a minimum of two to three months. Two to three months. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's a commitment. And I, I did those things mm-hmm. and it was a little scary. <laughs> yeah, I bet because you're very holistic minded. And I so am. to put yourself in all these meds, you yes, know, like, yes. and how soon did you see the effects like the, the help of um, this? You know, I didn't see them right away. That's actually not true. When I got on the steroids mm-hmm. and the, the ivermectin, those that was probably that fast. was really rapid. Mm-hmm. And then the brain fog, that was the one thing that I was the most worried about. And that's actually what finally made me decide to do the long COVID protocol. Mm-hmm. My job is to think yes. right on your toes on, in the mm-hmm. in complex situations. The nice thing is 
surgery is a lot of muscle memory. Yes. And so, but when we're talking about managing patients or a complication outside of operating, you have to be able to think clearly mm-hmm. and no amount of caffeine was helping mm-hmm. me to feel like I was thinking clearly. And so it took about four to six weeks on those medications. And all of a sudden I was like, I woke up and I realized that I wasn't, I still had chest pain with a lot of exertion at that point, but I was not as fatigued. My mm-hmm. brain felt clear. I was able to come up with words and occasionally I still struggle with the word finding thing as, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you experience. but mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. I was just, I felt like I was back. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there I am. Like the lights went back on yes, again. Yeah. I remember so. that moment for me where, because my vision on my left side, it like dulled a lot and like everything yeah. was blurry. And I remember driving one day and being like, I'm not squinting to see the signs. Like I remember it was like, it was one morning. I was like, oh my gosh, there's healing. You know, it's like yeah, suddenly you better. Yeah. You turn yeah. a corner, right? Like yeah. you go, go, go. And that's, that was my experience. It's like, I was doing the treatments, doing the treatments and it was like three weeks in. And then all of a sudden it turned a corner and then it just got better and better and better. Was yes. it the same for you? You're Absolutely. on the medication, on it, on it, on it, not noticing anything. Yeah. And then boom, like you start to get better. With the steroids, physically, mm-hmm. the inflammation died down. Yeah. Ivermectin, I, all of a sudden I was like, uh, okay, we're going to physically, we're, we might get through this. Because mm-hmm. until then, you know, I do liposuction and fat grafting and I was just struggling with mm-hmm. the cases that I do. And then, but it, the clarity came and it was like a light switch. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm back. I yeah. need to start working again. And not just Beautiful. working. I was working on patients already and doing okay. But I, my free time I've invested in mm-hmm. research and looking at things. And yeah. how do I create a system that I can you know, used to heal family members and friends and patients and people that I don't know. And, you know, things like that. And so all of a sudden I was able to start focusing, but it took me having that injury. Yeah. And that's when, like at first I was like, oh, this doesn't add up. This doesn't add up, but they're smarter than I am. They know what they're Mm. doing. And then I took that, that injection and the change was instant Mm -hmm. and severe. And at it was that moment where I thought, what have I done? Mm. I thought, you know, I, I've been resistant. So about 30% of the population probably had innate immunity to coronavirus to begin with from exposure to other coronaviruses. I'm a mother of five. I've, you know, worked in volunteer situations. I've probably been exposed to enough coronaviruses over my lifetime that I probably wasn't as high risk Mm -hmm. as some other people might've been for getting really sick from COVID. Right. Plus, I was super healthy, young-ish, mm-hmm. depending on your definition <laughs> of young, and just not in that same risk profile. But mm-hmm. to keep working, they were telling me that I had to take this. Mm-hmm. And I thought, also, I take care of cancer patients. So, one, I signed up, right? I signed up for this job. If someone's going to be the guinea pig, it was going to be me. Mm-hmm. Not my family, not my children, not mm-hmm. my patients. And two, if taking well, you know injection or that vaccine... Uh, however you want to describe it, was going to decrease the risk that I presented to my patients Mm -hmm. and to my parents. You would do Uh, it. Then I was absolutely willing to do it. Mm -hmm. And then I had qualms. I was nervous. I put it off. I put it off. I put it off. And finally, they were about to change the vaccine that they had in the hospital at the time. And that's where I was getting it. All of my partners were walking and they're like, Elise, come get your vaccine with us. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. Here we go. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it was instantaneous. I hadn't done as much research as I should have done. I hadn't been looking at not just the data that was given to us by the mainstream media, but data from other countries, you know, things that you could see, which is a lot of what I've spent my time with is having to go to other countries to find information Mm -hmm. at this point. When you started getting symptoms and then did you talk to your colleagues about it? No. 
Okay. Were you too scared to talk to your colleagues? Yeah, no, there was a level, and I don't know if anybody else experienced this, but number one, at the time, the only information that we had were the words safe and effective. Mm-hmm. It was 97 per, 99% effective, then it was 97% effective, then it was 95% mm-hmm. effective. But the level of gaslighting. Because I was going to, my question that I actually oh. wanted to ask you was, were you gaslit so, when you started talking to people about this? I, and I, but I didn't yeah. want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> I didn't, I wanted to be as neutral as possible. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to say the amount of gaslighting. I, so let me just tell you, I was willing to die in my basement, which is what I thought was going to happen mm-hmm. rather than go to the ER and then be like, you're just crazy. <laughs> right. I was so afraid to go. Like, and at the time, and you knew that would be your experience. Oh, Isn't that sad? I was that so, you're like, yeah. yep, they won't believe me. Even they, a yeah. doctor, they yeah. won't believe a doctor. And that's sad. At the time, there was no information about there being a risk for myocarditis, mm-hmm. which is now per the CDC, there is a risk for myocarditis mm-hmm. with these injections. That was not even known mm-hmm. at that time. And the other thing that happened, and this is super personal, but I think every woman who's listening to this. If you've experienced this, I want to validate you. Mm -hmm. My period stopped. I had a horrific period that started the day after that shot. Mm -hmm. I hemorrhaged for a couple of days and I did not have a cycle for six months. That's insane. And I couldn't, I was afraid to talk to my primary care doctor about it. That's crazy. I was like, because they would say you're crazy. That's what I was Mm -hmm. afraid of. Now, to be fair, when I did eventually tell him that Mm -hmm. my period, I was three months into this and I said, Hey, I just want you to document in case there's ever, you know, something I said, you know, at this point, I don't know that they had had a panel that came out from, you know, like obstetricians that said, Hey, there's no physiologic way that this can interact with your cycle. I mean, it's insane. Know, eating the wrong food can interact with your, uh, your seriously, cycle, right? Come everything on. can interact with your cycle. But they had uh-huh. this panel of professionals who came out and said this, which was data that I read at the time, mm-hmm. right? So I was like, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Then it's not what I took into my body. So it's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my Crazy. body was just wrong. And, Crazy. and so when I finally told my primary care doctor, he was super kind about it. Mm-hmm. There was no, hey, you're crazy. Hey, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. It was like, that's interesting. I'll put that in your chart. And mm. I was very grateful for how compassionate my mm-hmm. primary care physician was because I don't know if I could have handled somebody else saying, no, nah, that's not possible. Right. Because at that point I'd already told myself, no, that's not possible. But you were gaslighting yourself. I, yes. I mean, I'm, like, I'm a medical professional. It was safe and effective. Yeah. Right. Like, that's, Even I myself did not believe that my symptoms could have been a trip. I had so almost sad. died and I couldn't attribute that to how I reacted to mm-hmm. whatever was in the vaccines, right? right? Those spike proteins. And I believe that there's probably a subset of the population that just genetically is predisposed right. to having a worse reaction to COVID or a worse mm-hmm. reaction to the vaccines. Because again, it's the spike protein that does right. damage. And so right. if you're in that category of people that don't tolerate it well, mm-hmm. your reaction, I think, is much more severe. And I was right. absolutely one of those people and did not believe myself. Right. It's crazy. It's like the wildest world that we live in where we're, yeah. we're gaslighting ourselves and we're being gaslit by doctors, you know, yeah. by gaslit by the educated, the medical, pop, establishment. The, the medical yeah. establishment. It's really, really sad. I'm so happy that people are really standing up for themselves though. And they're realizing doctors yeah. are not God. They don't know no. everything. And we are so bio individual. That's the thing yes. that yeah. people don't realize. It's like, you can't guarantee that 
every person. It's like saying peanuts are safe for everyone. No, there are some people that will literally die if they eat a peanut or if they even like sniff a peanut piece of dust, right? They will go into anaphylactic shock because they are bio-individual, their body. There's way too many different chemical reactions in people's bodies to say, yep, these are all identical. We can control the way people's bodies replicate and react. There's no no way you can control that. There's no physical way we can create data that guarantees safety in everyone's body. It's impossible. The words safe and effective should have never been used. Never. Right. Because there is what I say is, and this is true. We even tailor chemotherapy to a person's biomarkers Mm -hmm. in their cancers, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a single treatment that is safe and appropriate for every human on this planet. So to distribute one treatment that we're claiming is appropriate for everyone is, I guess I would use the word irresponsible. Right. And does that mean that they're not safe or appropriate or even effective Mm -hmm. for some people? There's a solid population when you're looking at people who are at risk that probably benefited from that two months of improved immune protection Mm -hmm. given in a controlled fashion that would have maybe died from the actual virus, especially those early, the alpha and delta variants, right? right? But does that mean that what we did was correct? No, epidemiological principles would have indicated that we isolate the ill, mm-hmm. we insulate the frail, elderly, and at risk. Mm-hmm. So that's people with cancer, that's people with immune suppression, that's our older population that we want to protect. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying isolate, I say insulate. Mm-hmm. So, and then- We vaccinate that population Mm -hmm. and we allow that virus to run its course in the the healthy population. So we get a bunch of natural herd immunity in the people who are low risk. Now, there are people who in that scenario are going to have bad reactions. Like myself. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you were young, you were healthy. And I was healthy. Yep. Like people would say, I'm like one of the health, like every time I do labs, I'm like, yep, you're the picture perfect version of health, you know, Mm -hmm. and yet it destroyed me. Yes. You know, so this, nothing that we do Mm -hmm. is without risk. Right. Right. But we, we allow the people who are healthy and can process it to develop a natural herd immunity. And then we reintegrate our at risk Mm -hmm. population into a population that are naturally immune. Yeah. And then we would, instead of using vaccines that don't prevent transmission, Mm -hmm. so we get a leaky vaccine that drives variants and we will never truly clear this version of the virus from the population because we can't, our immune systems don't mount a normal response at this point. Yeah. And so, and I'm in that category, but that, if I were to have looked at that scenario, that would have been maybe what I anticipated seeing. Mm -hmm. And that's not 15 days to flatten the curve where everybody Mm -hmm lost businesses, they lost schooling, they lost education, they lost connection. And we need Mm -hmm. those things to be healthy. We do. So, okay. This has been remarkable, by the way, real quick. I want to just keep going. Maybe we can do a part two, but like (laughs) for, so we've mentioned medications that help bring down spike proteins, bring down inflammation. What are some of your favorite supplements? So, um, Real quick, a couple of things. There are so many things that we can take nutritionally and as supplements into our bodies that will help us to regain some of the function of those systems. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I would say, if anybody since COVID is struggling with energy levels and this feeling of fatigue and breathlessness that I think comes from that chronic long COVID Mm -hmm. experience, CoQ10. So we know that the spike protein causes dysfunction of our little powerhouses in our cell called our mitochondria. mitochondria. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
they are not functioning the way they should. They get injured from these infections. And so my strong recommendation is that people are on a CoQ10 supplement, which helps to support the function of ATP production in the mitochondria. Mm-hmm. So CoQ10 was life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. Starting that one and staying on that, I take that every day. I notice a difference. I take it religiously. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because I now have chronic damage to the mitochondria, but I don't go without it. Yeah. So I would take CoQ10. I would take, there's a series of supplements, black seed oil. Mm-hmm. You can get it in a capsule. It is an anti-cancer. It's an anti-inflammatory. There's a lot of information. It's a little bit of a blood thinner medication. So if you're on any kind, you need to ask your doctor about that one. Mm-hmm. That one's one where you want to check with your cardiologist if you're on medications or your primary care doctor if you're on any kind of medications that it might interact with. Mm-hmm. I recommend strong anti-inflammatories and antioxidants. Mm -hmm. So you want to be on a vitamin C supplement. And Mm -hmm. I recommend the kind that come in a liposomal format because it has the whole, not just the ascorbic acid, which is the shell, but it carries all of the nutrients that go inside of that shell. The other cofactors. You got mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Natural food sources, oranges, citrus, much better than taking just a pill. Mm -hmm. But I recommend two to 3,000 milligrams a day if you're struggling with those things for a bit. Perfect. Um, And I love the liposomal format for that, whether you drink it or take it in a capsule. So there are, those are just basic. There are more things. You can go to the FLCCC website to look at some of the things that they recommend themselves. I have stuff that I recommend and acetylcysteine, but you want to be on a vitamin D supplement. Lion's mane, if you're having that brain fog, it's a mushroom, but it helps with clarity. And then one thing I want to mention, and we should totally do a part two, because the benefits of intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. between the 14 to 16 hour mark are extraordinary for helping to clear spike protein from your cells. Really? Yes. And so if That's you amazing. are able to tolerate it, even if you don't do it every day, mm-hmm. I highly recommend that you look up information on how intermittent fasting stimulates the body in different stages of intermittent fasting will stimulate the body to overturn excess cellular, like your organelles get kind of rejuvenated and broken down your, and that's in any stage of fasting, your neurons actually turn over. And we didn't realize Mm -hmm. that previously we thought they were static. They Mm -hmm. stayed the same, but they turn over even in um, the parts of your brain that help you process memory. Mm -hmm. And so, but the time that's peak for that is between that 14 and 16 hour mark and beyond, but I can't, I just day to day, I can't do longer than 16 hours. Mm -hmm. If you want to do 24 hour fast, do that under a doctor's supervision safely. And I would not do that regularly, but I do intermittent fasting and that was a game changer. Amazing. So we should talk about the science behind that because that's so fun to talk about. And then the final, there are a couple of other things when you're looking at all of the things. So alpha lipoic acid, all of these different things, I found two different things that carry almost all of these things in it. And I was surprised by this. So I don't sell doTERRA, but they have a product called the Vitality Pack. And as I was researching and learning things that I could put into my body that might help me to heal, I came across the doTERRA Vitality Pack and it literally has every one of these things in it. Amazing. And so if you're looking for one supplement, it's a lot of pills still, mm-hmm. but it's one supplement that has all of these all the things. things. The so everything pack, that you just mentioned, it has all those things it in it. It has all of those things in it. Amazing. And it's a pretty good product. All the doTERRA people are going to like 
go Freak nuts. They're going to be like reposting this podcast. They're like, listen to Dr. Elise. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then purchase yeah. from me. And it's a good product. Yeah. So then like if you just want it all, like you don't have bandwidth to go out and find those products. Just, just get try that. this as a start. Yeah. Now I have had people that didn't tolerate the doTERRA vitality pack. Mm-hmm. There are components of it that can make you feel a bit queasy, mm-hmm. particularly the essential oils that come in a plant-based form. They're awesome, mm-hmm. but they can upset your tummy. So the other product that I love and that I take religiously personally every day, and I don't take, I have the doTERRA vitality pack. I don't take it every single day. I tend to take my other stuff separately because mm-hmm. I like knowing the concentrations and what I'm right. controlling. I'm a control freak. So <laughs> I love a product called Cardio Miracle. Cardio mm-hmm. Miracle increases your nitric oxide production. So when you're talking about damage to your endothelial lining, meaning the blood vessels are getting scarred, mm-hmm. Cardio Miracle increases your body's natural production of nitric oxide. Nitric oxide causes your blood vessels to dilate and increases oxygen delivery to your organs and your tissues. Helps with wound healing. Helps with cardiovascular health. It increases your vitamin D levels naturally, Mm -hmm. which will help you fight infection, restore normal cell signaling, all of these things. It's an extraordinary product that has almost all of the things that I've mentioned in it. And it's a powder and it tastes good. You have a code for that, don't you? I do. So if you want a discount on the Cardio Miracle, I have a code called REALU15. It's just capital R-E-A-L-Y-O-U, the number one, the number five. So the first letters capitalize, the rest are lowercase, and then the numbers one, five, real U15. And, and where do they get Cardio Miracle from? Like CardioMiracle.com. Cardio okay. Yeah. And it's a great product. I have found that patients who don't tolerate anything else tolerate that and see a difference. It and then really we're able does to add taste, other things. It tastes so good. It's yeah. like fun to drink. It is. Because <laughs> I'm so tired of pills. I take yes. a bunch every day yes. and I just like I'm tired of taking them. And so when I drink this, it's like, oh, this is a, my fun drink in the morning. Yes. It's really phenomenal. Yep. And ne- there's there's scientific di- data behind it. Mm-hmm. You can get it on their website or I have articles. I can send you the articles as okay. well. Beautiful. Um, and it's been a game changer for me. So between that and intermittent fasting and the supplements that I did, the long COVID protocol and then started the supplementation and I have healed leaps and bounds. And Amazing. And, I do cryotherapy on occasion as well. Mm-hmm. Do you go to Soul Inception? I totally do. I do too. I love them. <laughs> They're the, the cutest. And I just, and I've made it to the five minutes, but you're, it's you tough. have? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. There, it's such a good place. And mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that continuing with the cryotherapy at Soul Inception, mm-hmm. which is one place to do it. There are lots of places, but yeah. I like them. They're close to me. And then all of these different things. And then I'm going to try hyperbarics and see yes. how that goes. Come into my chambers. And see if maybe I can finally get to the point where I'm doing that hour on my bike and, and mm-hmm. exploring Utah on my bike again. You know, what's interesting is people that have the fatigue with long COVID. That's the first thing that goes away with people that do hyperbaric oh, is they're like, my fabulous. energy is back. I had this personal trainer. She's kind of a big deal on the Instagrams. I won't mention her name, but she had been dealing with the COVID fatigue Mm -hmm. and she's like, I can work out again. I'm sleeping better. Like people are just noticing these huge differences with their long COVID stuff. And that's one of the first things, obviously the neurological stuff takes a few weeks of like getting in daily. Yes. But like it took me, I think week three is when I did my turnaround and I was doing hyperbarics almost every single day. And then week three, I was like, boom, my brain's back online. I I went from not being able to do five minute meetings to like, I couldn't podcast. I couldn't work for weeks, probably a month. And then I went back to like running my company full time, like doing my job and then taking over the operations manager's job and just like 
running everything. And that was just after a month of doing hyperbaric. So going from thinking I was a vegetable to like, cause you literally, you like, you feel like you're going into psychosis mode because your anxiety and your depression is extraordinary. I've never experienced anything. It was terrifying. Yeah. It was terrifying. It was so like, it was so excruciating. I almost wished for death. I was like, I don't want to live like this. This isn't living. This is surviving. I was like, there's no quality in my life right now. I want to interject right here because I do work with people who are trying to be advocates or who are advocates for the injured, whether Mm -hmm. from the virus, long COVID or from the vaccines. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I hear over and over again Mm -hmm. is that there is a high level of suicidality in these folks that are still struggling with injury from this spike protein. One of the things that I have to point out is that although I did a lot of things for myself personally that Mm -hmm. I feel like helped, Part of it may be an element of tincture of time, right? We're still carrying mm-hmm. the spike protein. I think yeah. intervention action is important, yeah, right? But I am now two years out almost, just shy mm-hmm. uh, from when I had that one dose. And I did get COVID after that. I never got it before, but I got it after. Mm-hmm. And I would say that part of what allows your, our bodies are extraordinary. Yeah, They do get injured and the injury can be long-term. I think probably the inflammation that I had in my heart will cause some long-term changes, Mm -hmm. but part of the healing process came from being patient with time and trying things until I found something that worked because I tried a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So for the people that are out there struggling with that feeling of despair and hopelessness, be patient, give your body the time it needs and try things. Be patient and try things because there are things out there that can help you to heal. Yes. And there are doctors out there who specialize in this. Just find those Mm -hmm. doctors. Again, I do most, I do plastic surgery. I'm not a primary care physician. These are just the things that I've learned over time, but there are doctors who know more than I do. Mm -hmm. This is their specialty at this point and they have answers. And so be patient don't give up. Don't give, give your up. body the time. Self-care, sleep, lower yes. those cortisol levels yes. that create that autoimmune and inflammation and inability to heal. And just don't give into those feelings of anxiety and despair. Don't do it. You guys. Oh my God. This has been amazing. And I'm so glad I finally got you on the podcast. <laughs> you are so busy. Like I've just been dying to get you on here and to just pick your brain and have other people kind of just learn from your wisdom and your brilliance because you just have so much to share and this heart of gold, you know, you really do have a heart of gold. And so if people don't know you, they need to. So share this podcast with all your friends. You are also, as before we wrap up, you are starting your own clinic, right? Do you want to yes. tell us about your practice and like how your career is going to be changing in the yeah. near future? So again, my primary focus is both cosmetic and breast cancer patients, but that means that my primary patient population is female. I take care of men too, but they tend to come from the trauma aspect because I do mm-hmm. a lot of trauma reconstruction. Mm-hmm. So I am hoping that I'm shifting gears slightly. I'm still doing breast cancer and cosmetic surgery and all of those things. But I'm hoping that um, in the next few months, actually starting early next year, because of what I have personally been through, my shift is going to be into health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So we're going from Utah Valley Plastic Surgery to Real U Plastic Surgery and Wellness And the goal is that I will have a multidisciplinary clinic that incorporates nutrition. How do we get food that's healthy? So Mm -hmm. gardening education and information on how to grow or be in connection to the food that you're putting into your body. 
what do we put into our bodies to heal, to decrease our risk of cancer recurrence, to allow ourselves to le- live the, the fullest and healthiest lives that we can and without being part of that kind of medical industrial complex, so to mm-hmm. speak, as much as possible. Now that, again, I am allopathic medicine, so I don't think I'll ever be completely away from the marriage of you know, allopathic medicine, because Mm -hmm. there are things that we have within that context that you really can't, the potency, you can't replicate. powerful tools. Yeah. Like you can't, like no supplement can really, steroids, like for instance, there's no, like turmeric will not bring down inflammation the way a steroid will. Exactly. There's just nothing like it. 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C, not Mm going to bring down the inflammation. Right. Like a a serious, you know, a, a treatment protocol with steroids will. Right. And so there are, but the long-term goal is that there it will be a marriage of I love that health and long-term health, mm-hmm. right? So not just here, take this medication and come back mm-hmm. and see me and see if you're, you know, but how do you make changes long-term that right. will allow you to live a life being the best version of you that you can be I love that. with whatever restrictions and challenges that you come with ahead of time. That's the goal. I love that. So how can people find out more information about you and your clinic? So right now you can go to Utah Our website for real you plastic surgery and wellness will be up and coming. Mm-hmm. It won't go live until we make that transition fully, probably in January. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it'll be a growing endeavor. So we're going to start out kind of traditional plastic surgery, just like we are now. And over time we'll be, expanding with knowledge resources that will not cost you money to look at so that you can look up the information yourself on our website. Mm-hmm. We'll be putting some posts on blogs and, and even a little bit of like connections and websites to gardening. But our goal will be that we have nutritionists in the, the clinic itself and hopefully it will become a multidisciplinary women's health situation. I love it. You guys, Dr. Elise Meekham is a force to be reckoned with. Thank you (laughs) so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing your wisdom and your brilliance with all our listeners. I think this can be really helpful, especially like I said, for people that can't afford these treatments, you know, that they like, and all they can do is take a medication. Like these are going to be some powerful tools that are going to help a lot of people. So thank you. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. Share this with friends and family that have been injured with COVID and are looking for resources and some help because I think this could help them a lot. And we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast. 